Hello, this is Anders Dembad in Kuala Lumpur, chatting to Renee and her fantastic global podcast, Where To From Here, about the future of luxury travel. Studies are showing that wellness is going to be a huge, um, you know, highly sought after commodity in the future in terms of luxury travel. What's your take on that? And what are Banyan Tree doing to capture that market? Um, I think wellness is definitely is an evolving market. It's something that we're focusing a lot on as a group and as different properties. We've created wellness rooms, um, which is not just uh, how we decorated or redecorated the room inventory. It's also offering guests who choose or book these wellness rooms, um, you know, wellness lifestyle from the food uh, to experiences, whether it's gym, yoga, um, or stretching, or even to going to visit different places within the cities or resorts that they are at. So all more rounded experience. Um, I think a lot of people who, naturally who are not necessarily into wellness they still have this sort of uh, perhaps not fear but their 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 initial viewpoint is that oh it must be something to do with yoga or it has to be something with good or healthy food that i'm not going to enjoy where i think it's become so much more and it's become almost like a movement to really really uh nurture not just your body in terms of your health but also your mind and i think that the mindset is the one for me is the most important especially when you're coming out of or now that the world is coming out of COVID, a lot so much focus has always been on the lack of travel or the you know people being away from family and loved ones and separated and the challenges of course of you know the effects that it's had on a lot of people and naturally the the illnesses but i think a lot of people haven't really talked a lot about you know how our how we as colleagues or we as people who've missed that opportunity to connect in person, that personal touch, something that a lot of our generations have never experienced. Um, and I think that mental wellness is very, very important. And I'm glad that we do a lot of work, uh, obviously with that in terms of your well-being um, here in the hotels, even for our associates, we do a well-being Wednesday every week. Um, and that can be from enhancing your sleep to uh, educating about dietary to doing you know workout together just small things because we want the team to have that also understanding so it's not just a sort of gimmick or a usp that we're offering it's something that we wholly believe in and that the guests when they come and experience it the associates can explain from their own experience and from their own being um, which for me is, is is great because you don't want to sell something that you don't believe in or that you're not part of or that you don't understand and Totally. selling it's just really really wanting to make you know people and guests have that true experience i wanted to ask you and what do you personally do for your own well-being um well i ride a motorbike <laughs> <laughs> that's not good <laughs> um of course my family my family is my savior um i always say that without my family i have nothing and that's also the family of the people of the hotel um it's just you know being able to come home, I'm, I'm so blessed that every evening, even if my children are asleep at night, because obviously in our industry, we work very many hours, just knowing that they're there or, you know, that I don't think anything can beat that. I'm, in that aspect, I'm so blessed. Um, and just remaining positive. 
celebrating the small victories. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything big. We made one guest happy today. Let's celebrate that. Um, we have to continuously always, always focus on the positive. There's too much negativity in this world, I believe, unfortunately. And uh, it's very easy to get in that sort of snowball effect. So I always say that we celebrate every little victory we can and we focus on the positive and we move forward. And tell me about Ho Kwong Ping. I hope I've pronounced that properly. He, of course, is the founder of Banyan Tree. He has an incredible story. Is he involved in the business now? Tell us about him. Very much so. The entire family are, are all involved in uh, within the property um, or within the group, I should say. Uh, they take a lot of pride in it, um, which is great for us. And to be honest, you know, all all family, KP, as he's affectionately known within the group, uh, Madam Claire, uh, his wife, and now the builder, uh, Renyum, who are also uh, taking charge of our brand. Um, all of them are very approachable and they're very in it. It's actually one of our great things we always talk about amongst our associates from whenever we have new associates coming on board. We have online trainings and they're so involved in it that not so micro involved, but in the macro sense that, you know, it's, it's very rare that you have an opportunity as, you know, a middle management person to meet the founder of your organization, let alone sit in Zoom meetings with them or have that opportunity whenever we have or when we've had the opportunity to have on-site meetings or on-site visits or on-site trainings, whether in Paquit or in any of our sister properties, they would always come and they'd always make an appearance and they still do. So they're very, very heavily into it. And I mean, we also know you can pick up a phone. They're very, very approachable. And I think that's that true core from the head all the way down is what it sort of leads us as a group. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the, they started the business almost by accident. I was reading about it, right? That they had a property that they inherited and it wasn't near a beach and they needed to have a point of difference and decided to create villas and a spa. Is, is that the story? Um, yeah, they, they, they were looking for something. Um, I, I believe it, the original story, they were living in La, uh, Lama Island and uh, they were sitting in Banyan Bay and sitting underneath a tree and enjoying the breeze and the love. And um, they found property in Phuket in Thailand, um, which is now known as Laguna Phuket. Uh, and it was an abandoned tin mine. And I think they fell in love with the, the land and they had these lakes that were very, very blue, blue, uh, but little did they know. And they'll be able to tell you that it was due to the toxins. So they got the land at a very, very good, uh, good deal, they say. And um, unfortunately it was declared unbuildable, but rather than take that challenge, and I think that's the great thing about you know, uh, KP and Claire is that it's not whenever they get faced with these obstacles where people have said no, sort of like traditional no, they always find a way around it or they, they you know, they break down that barrier. So they managed to turn it around from, you know, an environmental disaster to, uh, you know, a beautiful sanctuary where it is right now. And like you already said, the Banyan tree uh, did not have beach access. So people will consider well, how do you make a luxury resort if you don't have beach access? Um, so they said, okay, we'll put pools in all our villas. We'll build spa around it. We'll mix, you know, everything was new and different at the time. And, um, you know, very, very um, pioneering, I would say. And they still look to do it. I mean, of course, uh, flattery, they say um, cop being copied is the best form of flattery. Um, a lot of properties, you know, look very, very similar these days, but they're still trying to break the mold. Um, we're opening up a new property in Bali, uh, which is, uh, all the villas, there's no doors. It's all open air villas and open air villa experience. Cool. Looks absolutely stunning. Uh, invited to invited to stay and experience it. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> unable to travel to do so, but look forward to hearing about it. But again, it's sort of that continuous, you know, they're always looking to see and change it and evolve. And there are something like 50 properties already in the Banyan Tree Group worldwide right now? Correct. 
I think uh, KP's and Claire's vision uh, of the group uh, and now, you know, also being uh, uh, led by the family uh, members and the committee, they've always talked about having a, a pearl necklace around the world and uh, or a string of pearls around the world. So we have us all in these beautiful spots. And uh, I think enhanced further by, as our guests are now so much more global than they were maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and the world has really become small thanks to how, you know, the breakthroughs in air travel, that we want to be able to offer our guests. Um, previously, if you were a guest in Europe, you'd always be long haul to come and visit Banyantry. Uh, there was nothing sort of short haul or medium throw. And I think we're, where we're going into that direction where we want to be able to offer guests in all parts of the world. If you want to come to a banyan tree, there is a long haul destination for you to come. If you want to travel medium haul, there's a medium haul destination and there's also a short haul for you all. So I think wow. that's, that, that's the excitement of the future. Do you have a favorite property, favorite banyan tree property? Uh, I guess you always have to say the one you're in, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're about to leave, so you've kind of got to leave past and choose a couple. <laughs> no, I, I've been, to be honest, I've been very, very blessed with all the properties I've been um, that I've experienced with Banyanchi. And I think that everyone offers something that's unique and something that's a little bit different. It would be very, very hard to choose sort of one over the other. Um, but uh, I think they all, as I said, they all offer their beauties. Um, they're all there in their own sanctuaries in their own way. So tell me, you were born in the Philippines, raised in Hong Kong, and you're Swedish and we're talking Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My mother's also English Irish, just to throw in the mix a little bit more. Wow. How on earth did you, did you end up running hotels in Asia? Um, interestingly enough, I went to business school um, and not hospitality school. Um, and, but having grown up in Asia, you know, you always have the romance of travel. You always have so many beautiful hotels and some great, great service that is being offered. And I was very privileged to see that. Um, so I guess like everyone, um, that whole sort of romance, the romantic side of uh, dealing with people. And I just love being with people. Um, so I had an opportunity to meet um, some great industry leaders uh, in the hospitality industry, and they sort of set me straight and they said, look, this is what it is. It's a very, very challenging, challenging environment, but it's equally as rewarding. And if you love travel and if you love people and if you love being able to, you know, grant and give experiences, and uh, then this is the industry for you. So I jumped on board. Absolutely. And you're here at the Banyan Tree and Pavilion. Of course, there's two hotels. I'm actually sitting in the Pavilion right now in Kuala Lumpur <laughs> talking to you. And it's a really interesting concept, A, to bring the Banyan Tree, which was traditionally a very high wellness product, you know, in sort of more isolated locations, into the right into the heart of Kuala Lumpur, and then to have another hotel across the road, the Pavilion. So just talk us through that. Um, yeah, originally it started with the Banyan Tree uh as our first project and uh, with our owners who have been great and supportive um, came the opportunity, the pavilion. And for us, we jumped on board uh, as, as quickly as we could because we felt that it allowed us to offer a, an experience for all guests, uh, regardless of a price point. And I think that's the soul of, of Banyan Tree. You know, we, we, we really want to reach out to everyone. Um, and this gave us a great opportunity to do so. So we have everything on offer for all guests of all life. And both hotels are five star, right? Indeed, both are five star. Um, the, the service between the two hotels are are equal, or we like to hope that they're equal. Um, our associates, we are, we don't say that you are pavilion based or you're banyan tree based. You know, we try to be fluid and we go where we needed to be, and thus it's the same people uh, between the two hotels. The differentiation is naturally with banyan tree. Um, uh, the room sizes are of a larger scale than some of our entry level in, in the pavilion. 
Um, and pavilion, we have obviously a much larger ballroom where banditry is sort of more focused on the, the, the serenity and the relaxation. And for people who haven't been, I mean, the location, it has to be the best in Kuala Lumpur, right in um, the centre of the shopping district. Indeed, we're, we're very, very blessed to be uh, linked from the banyan tree with a with a direct access footbridge uh, to the Pavilion Mall, which is the destination mall in in Kuala Lumpur, and uh, the Pavilion Hotel is actually located on top of it. So we have actually three access through elevators, three direct access to the mall. So we're very very blessed. And of course, uh, we're in the golden triangle of um, of KLCC Book of Bintan um, and us, and so we're within walking distance to parks, uh, a lot of the sort of heritage sites, and of course the KL Tower and obviously the Petronas Towers. So we have sort of everything within close proximity. So we are very, very blessed. I used to live here in Kuala Lumpur, so I do have a soft spot for it. Generally speaking, I mean, obviously things have changed dramatically in the last few years, but even prior to that, where were most of the people coming from that stayed at the hotels? Which areas around the world, which countries? Um, it is a good mix. Uh, obviously, Singapore, China um, are, are very, very large markets for the country. Um, but you get people coming as far afield from the United States, from Europe. It is sort of that melting pot of everywhere and anywhere. Um, Malaysia in general has you know, three sort of main cultures, um, a lot of heritage, a lot of history. Uh, and it's just really that's sort of like the melting pot of Southeast Asia. I think it, it has so much beauty to offer every walk of life, if you want to have beautiful beaches, if you want to have great shopping, if you want to have phenomenal cuisine, uh, if you like rainforest, it's everything and anything is there. A hundred percent. How long have you been in Southeast Asia now? Uh, in Malaysia now, this time, just coming up to six and a half years. So. And you're moving on soon, I know, to Thailand, I believe? Yes. Uh, uh, all good things have to come to an end or a new chapter must begin and uh, exciting beginnings for us. Uh, I've been very fortunate. The group have uh, given me the opportunity to take charge of uh, all of our properties in Laguna Paquette, uh, which is our flagship and obviously the founding properties of the Banyan Tree Group as well. So very excited for that challenge. Uh, looking forward to it. Of course, a little bit of pressure and uh, a little bit of nerves, but uh, it should be all good fun. So exciting. We came from the Middle East. We won a number of awards. What do you attribute to the success that the Middle East has had during the pandemic? Because a lot of their hotels have just been full. A lot of Europeans have gone there to escape the winter. What do you attribute to that? I think the Middle East has always been such a great destination because it's sort of almost in the centre of it all. Uh, it has a lot of uh, great airlines that fly into it. It's, it's a very, very good hub. Um, you have Emirates, Qatar, but of course, every almost national carrier flies to Dubai or flies to Abu Dhabi or, or, or Qatar, uh, Oman. So you have naturally great weather, most almost 90% of the year round. And with it being such an international travel hub, it's very easy access from all around the world. It's only six, seven, five, six, seven hours from Europe, five, six, seven hours from Asia, depending where you are. And I think then as a government, they always have something that's going on. They've always, there's always something exciting going on in the Middle East. There's something new, whether it's the Dubai Expo that they've just had. Now Qatar has the World Cup. There's always some sort of draw outside of business, of course. But what hotel were you running there? Um, I was also with the Banyan Tree in Ras Al Khaimah. Um, we had two hotels there. It's uh, the most northern emirate, beautiful property in the desert, um, and coupled with a property on the beach was on around seven or eight kilometers different. So we kind of offered that desert experience in the tented villas. And then we had also those who wanted to go on the beach. So it was a great sort of either or, or a dual stop. Mm. Do you miss it? Um, I do. Uh, to be honest, I, I, I miss the Middle East. I think it was, it was very, very nice. It was also, um, you know, you had such a large 
a diverse workforce. And I think that's what made it for me a lot of fun. I love culture. I love history. I love learning about, you know, uh, sort of people's origins. I think if we had a lot more understanding in the world of rather than, I think the world wouldn't be so, uh, so much conflict as we sort of see these days. And uh, I thought that we were blessed to celebrate so many different, you know, cultural and heritage from all the different backgrounds of all the associates. And I really miss that. Absolutely. And on a positive note, again, how do you see the future of luxury travel changing? Um, I, I think for the immediate future, I think a lot of people will be doing more short haul travels or, or, or uh, medium haul travels uh, before the sort of the long haul comes back to that confidence. I think people will go where they feel confident. Um, I think one of the beautiful things about, you know, again, trying to focus on the positive is that in almost every country who's had some form of lockdown and when people have been able to travel, they've traveled within the country. And I think a lot of people are now getting to experience their own country and the beauty that their own countries have. And I think that'll take more pride in the people of the, of the nation so that when international visitors come, they'll have a greater experience because more people will be able to you know, explain more about their own, own countries and the things that they've experienced or the local touches. Because sometimes when you arrive as a tourist, you can you know, tick all the tourist boxes, but yeah. it's really when you sort of go down and you, you experience some of the local things that you're off the beaten track. And I think more people and more off the beaten track experiences are out there now. So I think that's what's gonna sort of drive people to have these great experiences. Yeah, I do tend to agree. And how about you personally? I mean, you haven't been able to travel for a while. Do you normally travel in luxury? Do you go to the same places every year? What are your travel habits? Um, have been able to travel for a while. I think uh, my first travel, which is actually going to be shortly in around three weeks time, will be home to Sweden um, to oh, spend wonderful. time with my family, my loved ones. Um, and from that, I think maybe obviously a couple of short trips within Europe because I haven't been, haven't experienced Europe so much, especially in the last few years. But really, really, it's, it's just to sort of get home and be home for a while. I think that, that that'll be that'll be for me. That'll be very, very good. I totally um, but, understand. but apart from that, like pre-COVID, I, I love to go to, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I love new cultures. I love new experiences. Uh, I'm very blessed with uh, my family who are also very willing to sort of go on these sort of little short trips. Um, and in Southeast Asia or in Asia in general, uh, we're now blessed with, you know, so much flight connectivity that you can, you don't have to sort of do that as traditional, oh, where do we go for Easter or summer or Christmas breaks, vacations with the children is more, oh, there's a couple of public holidays. Can we get away for a long weekend? Can we experience it? Um, and so anywhere that we can get to, preferably by the beach. So Yes, wonderful. And being European, what do you see as the difference between European and Southeast Asian um, five-star hotels? I think... Uh, modernity to an extent i think that the um you know traditional five-star hotels in, in, in europe they, they don't often rebuild or build um greenfield five stars that they're mm. uh, in some of the capital cities yes now there are a lot of new five-star properties that are come up so you can sort of see the similarities to where it was in asia but i think asia was such a uh, asia grew so quickly and developed in the 90s 80s 90s and you know still does you as, as you're experiencing in kuala lumpur you can see how many construction sites and how many buildings are being built up so there's so much more new infrastructure so much new te more technology in the rooms how the rooms are built uh, how they're designed um, for the guest in mind whether it's a city property or a business hotel or whether it's more for a leisure property in a leisure hotel you know the touches in the room Whereas I think in Europe, there's a lot more historical buildings. So whilst they're being refurnished and revamped, they're quite limited, which is also a beautiful thing because it is a contrast. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is, is, is the great aspect that you have 
a lot of historical buildings um, and a lot of maybe perhaps smaller boutique properties, uh, whereas now in Asia, there's the five, six, seven, eight hundred key properties as they go along. Yeah, absolutely. And something I've always wanted to ask a hotel GM, when, um, how does it work in terms of when you get moved? Do you ask to get moved to another location or does the location come up and every lots of the GMs fight to go there? How does it work? <laughs> I think if there's a, if there's an ideal location, there's probably going to be a lot of fighting. Um, it, it's uh, it's a it's a lot of mix. Um, I think the one thing that within our industry is that we, we always say you can never you never can tell. Um, prior prior to this assignment um, with Banyan Tree, I think my longest assignment was three years. My shortest was nine months. Um, it's all about opportunity. I think um, if there's a need somewhere and they, uh, the corporate offices, or they have you in mind, um, they'll probably speak to you and say, look, uh, we have this coming up, would you be interested in it? Um, and also to see how long you've been in your existing property, how well you're doing, um, the relations with owners. It's uh, before I think uh, hotel organizations could just move sort of people left, right and center at any time. Now there's, a, you know, owners have a lot more influence in it as well. Um, and owners relations, and sure that you can maintain that consistency. But I think also if you as an individual, you also need to, like I tell my associates here, please don't ever you know, expect something like a promotion or a transfer to fall on your lap. You also need to have that hunger and that desire to look for it and want to grow and want to develop yourself. And um, so I think if they have, you know, all hotels have a pipeline of properties coming up. And if there's something that excites you in that, I, I think as a GM or even as whichever level of staff you're in, you know, you should go out and, you know, raise your hand and say, hey, look, you know, there's this opportunity here. And also don't be afraid to take that opportunity. Um, I joined Banyan Tree in the Seychelles. Uh, it was my first Banyan Tree property back in 2003. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Hong Kong and the Philippines. And <laughs> so I'd never been to a sort of small little island and in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And, you know, and then from there, they, you know, we got transferred to the Maldives and, and then from there to Dubai and then from the Dubai to it's that all aspect. Like for me, it's always be willing to try if that opportunity suits you and your family. Of course, you're really lucky. You have such a supportive family because I, I can imagine it was not easy living on those islands. Like you know, Maldives, Seychelles, they're very isolated. Definitely, definitely. Um, but that's also part of the fun. It's also part of the experience. I think um, my youngest daughter, when we moved to the when we moved to the Seychelles the second time uh, as my first GM posting, we moved from Bangkok. She was, I think, three years old, and that was the fifth country she lived in. So. Uh, but since then, we've stabilized a lot more. I think when they're younger, that's, they're much more easy to travel with. Um, obviously, schooling, is well, as they get older, schooling becomes a lot more important. So, yeah. And of course, like you said, without my, as I mentioned, without my family, I'm nothing. I think the first thing, anytime, anytime I've ever had an opportunity that comes, um, the first thing I do is ask my wife, would you like to go here? And if she says no, then that's okay. <laughs> and she's like, here, then we can explore. Happy wife, happy life. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a fantastic life and it sounds very exciting. And as you know, I have twins myself and um, I just think the more that children can travel, the more of the world they can see, I think it's a really positive thing. And I also think that with um, COVID and the pandemic, we've learned that education is a lot more flexible than perhaps we thought before that. Very much so, very much so. I think the, I think everyone's sort of become a, a master of the homeschooling and uh, the Zoom meetings um, is sort of becoming the new norm, I guess. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's, it's just a real mind shift in so many areas. But look, I've loved talking to you, Anders, and I'd love to ask you the question that I ask everyone that we speak to, where to from here for you today or in the future? 
Um, today, obviously, uh, I'm going from here to a lunch uh, with our executive committee. Uh, we do nice. this every second week. We try to have it as an informal meeting so that we can discuss challenges and opportunities within the hotels. But then I have a half day off, so I will be going off because I have a friend who's turning 50 today. Oh, So wonderful. I have to go, go, go and celebrate with him. Fantastic. What are you doing for that? Are you going away or a big lunch or dinner? Or? No, he's, uh, we're, we're going to have a, a, a barbecue on mass, I believe. So uh, original plan was to go with a few of us to go on, a, go on the motorcycles and, and ride off uh, to, a, to a restaurant. But uh, I think we all got wifed. So uh, it's barbecue. and uh, You got wifed? I've never heard that expression. <laughs> <laughs> Where does, which country does that come from? Wifed. <laughs> uh, please don't use that one. Huh? <laughs> I think that's great. Well, look, it's wonderful to speak with you. It's also wonderful to be staying in your beautiful hotels. Thank you for having me. And um, yeah, and I hopefully I'll see you in your new role in a short while in Thailand. Please, you're welcome anytime, and we look forward to having you there as well. Thank you so much, and just have a great day. Pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your stay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe here and follow us on Instagram and Facebook for regular travel updates. You can also hear our episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.